Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Good morning. It's good to see you all. We're grateful to be back here at Claremont Bible Fellowship. Can you hear me better like this? Yeah. Okay. Elaine and I have lived in Bogota for 24 years, and we're in the U.S. at the end of a two-month visit. We traveled up mid-September. We spent a month in uh, upstate South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, visiting our number two and number three daughters. Over the years, we've brought all of our children here, and as they get older, every time we come, we have one child less. And we visited our number two and number three daughters and my parents, who live in Athens, Georgia. And yesterday, we flew to Orlando from Seattle. Out in Seattle is where our oldest daughter and her husband and our two granddaughters live. And Lord willing, we'll be returning to Bogota on Friday morning. Andrew, who's back at the machine, he is 18, almost 19. He's almost done with 12th grade. Uh, he's stretched out his finishing high school, as all of us have made adjustments here recently. He's already completed two online classes for university credit. He's very involved in, in filming and editing and transmitting um, the online meetings for the assembly we're part of in Bogota from our living room. That's used to be our living room. And uh, Andrew set up a table there and has got his equipment. And actually, as time has gone along, he's gotten more equipment. And he had the great idea about a year ago of going on to an online format before we actually had to do it. And that allowed us to purchase equipment and to train and teach a team before in-person meetings were suspended. And our going up from Andrew, Andrew is our youngest. And then Anna, she's 22, she's a senior at Bob Jones University, she studies special education, and she works on campus in the university's Department of Public Safety. And then our second oldest is a nurse. She graduated from college a year and a half ago, and she works in Greenville, South Carolina as a nurse. And our oldest, Rachel, is married to Joel, and they have two beautiful uh, little girls. Uh, Elena is three, and... Uh, Alyssa is one and a half, and we just spent three and a half weeks reading with them and walking with them and all those things that grandparents do. In mid-March, a couple from Guatemala, they worked with Precept Ministries, went to Colombia for a two-week training session. Well, they got stuck there because their airport closed and also the Bogota airport closed. So seven and a half months after they arrived for their two-week visit, they were able to return home. Uh, but actually, their being there was a great blessing to us. Between March and August, uh, Miriam and Elaine taught a weekly uh, ladies' class. And Alan taught men's and young adults' classes and preached every other Sunday. And he also did some studies with our family. During Bogota's strict quarantine period from the end of March to early September, we didn't leave our house except for short walks to buy groceries. We could go out one at a time and had to wear masks while outside our homes. Over the past few months, uh, many at uh, Noroccidente have lost their jobs. Noroccidente, I say that word frequently, that means Northwest. 
and the assembly we work with is on the northwest side of Colombia's capital of Bogota. During the quarantine period, Elaine taught online classes, she mentored, and she took care of our uh, garden. Each week, Elaine had two group studies with women. Uh, Thursday morning one that she taught with Medium uh, was transmitted on Noroccidente's YouTube channel and the Saturday morning one via Google Meet and she also had one-on-one -on -one studies with via WhatsApp each week so we got acquainted with different platforms. That's our backyard garden and Elaine does a great job of taking care of it. In March I had the privilege of filming 11 hours of video for a class like Elaine, I really enjoy spending time in our backyard, uh, which produces lots of good things. Uh, there are some zucchini, uh, also produces blackberries and chard and cherry tomatoes and green beans and rhubarb and cape gooseberries. Um, Bogota is a mile and a half above sea level, and um, it's like in the 60s all year round. It's terrible to have to live in a place like that, but uh, we somebody does it and we enjoy it and so things grow year-round and and we really enjoy that and we enjoy being here too but we also like being in a place where it's 60s and 70s year-round um i spoke every two weeks we had to make some adjustments to our uh, preaching schedule um between late september and early that's uh that last one that's a cape gooseberry and anyway the lord put it in its own little case and it's really good to eat and that grows in our backyard too. Um, I spoke every two weeks between late March and the end of August at our assembly. We've got about eight Sunday speakers, but because of restrictions on moving around, I was teaching every, every two weeks. Um, I also spoke several times for other assemblies, Sunday morning services and couples uh, meetings. Between May and August, I had the privilege of uh, doing several evangelistic studies with different people. Not all of them finished the courses. We, many people um, are willing to begin. Not everyone finishes. So we would appreciate as you think about us that you'd pray that people who begin our evangelistic courses would, would be saved. Um, they would completely understand the gospel. And I also have been involved in several discipleship studies in the last few months. We're grateful because in the last few months we've noticed an increased interest in studying the Word. Very grateful for that. Elaine and I normally participate in a weekly team meeting of a group that's looking to start a new assembly about uh, 20 miles out of Bogota. So besides our work at Noroccidente, we're also encouraging a team to uh, start a new assembly. In May, we participated in our first ever online wedding. It was originally planned to take place at a city park, but um, due to lockdown measures, it was moved to the newly rented apartment of this couple, Juan David and Geraldine. We're married on May 23rd. It was a beautiful ceremony. We've known both of them for many years, had the privilege of doing their premarital counseling. And Andrew did a great job of mixing from our house, the feed from uh, three different cameras around their apartment uh, for the online ceremony. We're all learning. Andrew has kept very busy with his schoolwork uh, during this time and also transmitting three to five meetings per week. 
via Noroccidente's YouTube channel. Um, he's always involved with the Sunday morning service, with the Tuesday prayer and Bible study meeting, with a ladies meeting. Andrew says he'd never been to so many ladies meetings in his life as during this quarantine period and has had enough couples meetings to last him for the rest of his life. Um, do I have to go to this week's couples meeting again at the ladies meeting? So anyway, he's quite versatile and has really helped out with that. He's also developed some new talents during this time, like cutting his dad's hair. And taking appointments? Yeah, okay. Well, he, he really picked things up. He enjoys being in the kitchen and also is always saying, oh, wow, let's, let's make something. So he made like barbecue pork and... Um, baked scones, and so Andrew's quite talented, and we're very grateful for him. We appreciate all that he does to make Noroccidente's online meetings work, and his vision to share what he's learned and to keep us thinking. He's always saying, Dad, why do we do it this way? Why don't we do it that way? And, um, and I learn a lot from that. During our two months that we've been in the States, uh, Carlitos and Juan Esteban, good friends of Andrew's, um, young men whom Andrew trained to do this uh, have overseen the technical aspects of Noroccidente's meetings and we're very grateful for their friendship and also how Andrew's a blessing to them. Noroccidente has training and fellowship times most Sunday afternoons. We figure people haven't been able to go out as much so we take advantage of Sunday afternoons for training times. Uh, there are meetings for parents of teenagers every couple of months for Sunday school teachers about every three months, um, for couples once a month, uh, for the audio-visuals team, training times we have periodically, the usher crew, we haven't had um, um, in-person meetings for a while, but we still want the ministry teams to meet together. Uh, we are having biblical counseling workshops every two months and workshops on leading online evangelistic studies. We do that every couple of months as well. We're encouraged by the results that we see from doing uh, evangelistic Bible studies and discipleship meetings. It thrills us to hear people say when they're studying the Bible, wow, I didn't know that before, or now I understand, or I really had it wrong about who God is and what the Bible teaches. And uh, we've seen that many times in the last few months, and we're very grateful for that. Uh, we're grateful to be able to study the Bible and, and share what we learn with individuals and groups several times each week. And as we do that, we learn as well. We were in a rented facility for about 11 years. And um, we were given a discount on our rent for April, May, and June. But then we saw that uh, our not being able to meet in person was going to go further. So we asked for um, a bigger discount in our rent. We weren't able to negotiate that, so we just decided to turn in our building. That's our Chinese 10-passenger minivan, but 10 passengers about half the size of me. Um, but we like it. It's our, our van, and it holds a lot of stuff in it. Um, that's a view of it stuffed. We stuffed it many times, taking things to our house. And that's Elaine surrounded by things. She'd say, you can fit more, you can fit more. And she took a lot of stuff. She was very creative. We made the move over a 10-day period. And Elaine skillfully placed about half of the things around our house. That's kind of the sunroom of our house. And Elaine kept saying, bring more stuff. I'll make it fit. 
So um, if you look real carefully around their house, you'll see microphone cables underneath this particular table and, and speakers underneath something else. And so she made it fit. And then one of the believers also had uh, um, a place where they could keep uh, the chairs and the tables. So we're very grateful that we were able to do that. Noroccidente is an assembly is 30 years old. We've been there 24 years of that time. It's an assembly with four elders. I am one of them. About a month and a half ago, Bogotá's mayor authorized for in-person meetings to start again. And of the 25 assemblies in Bogotá, four have begun in-person meetings. Um, the elders at Noroccidente have decided to wait a few more weeks before looking for another place to rent. But we look forward, uh, we hope at the beginning of the year, to be able to go back to meeting in person. Um, and despite not having had in-person meetings for the past um, seven months, attendance at our meetings has increased. We do get weary a bit of the online stuff, so we're praying about what the next stage is going to be like when the elders are ready to go back to in-person meetings, but a lot of the people are going to say, well, but we aren't ready to go back to the in-person meetings, and I imagine you all have dealt with those things too. We're grateful to be here. Wanted to take this time to tell you a bit about what we do, and we do appreciate your praying for us. We are happy to have the Doubleys with us, and we're going to invite Mike back up this time to share what the Lord has laid on his heart for us. Brother Mike, please. Thank you. Several reminders that I needed during this time. I appreciate that. One in this last verse of that last hymn, living for Jesus through earth's little while. Sometimes we think this is never going to end. And I appreciate being reminded that it's a short while. And I appreciated the reading from Psalm 116 as well. Good morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke 19. We're going to share some thoughts today on a wee little man. Luke 19. Have you ever been near a famous person? Years ago in downtown Bogota, I saw a presidential candidate just a short distance away. And um, in Bogota, I'm hard to miss. I kind of stick out in the crowd, kind of like a milk of the um, contrast with a fly. And so our eyes met, and he waved. So I guess when he looked out, number of people there, I kind of looked really different, and he waved at me. And I felt privileged that he acknowledged me. Our text here in Luke 19 narrates an encounter between Jesus and a sinner. The Lord visited his home. The Lord spent time with him. That was an enormous privilege that was granted to Zacchaeus. But at the same time, that honor bestowed on Zacchaeus um, made him responsible. It makes me responsible to hit the right button. Okay. Um, the Lord visited his home, spent time with him. But that privilege, that honor that was bestowed on Zacchaeus of, of receiving the Lord into his home made him responsible for deciding between continuing with a life far from God, a life of sin, 
or submitting to God's control. And as we encounter the Lord Jesus, as we um, know about him, um, we must make the decision. It's um, necessary that we draw closer to God, uh, that his work in our lives be more evident. I've placed up on the screen the, the verses that I'm going to be reading. Um, I believe all of them are from the ESV. So I will read Luke 19, 1 to 10. He, the Lord Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. I, I normally study in Spanish and I look at that and I look at Zacchaeus up there and that doesn't look at all to me like Zacchaeus, but that's something about English that I still haven't gotten used to. There was a man named Zacchaeus. I want to say Zacchaeus, but anyway, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. We little man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, the crowd, saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We're grateful that um, uh, the lost that uh, he came to seek and to save includes us, includes the people around us, includes rich people and people with uh, not much, tall people and short people, uh, people who are admired and people who are hated. Uh, Jesus loves everyone. Um, help us to uh, get something from this passage about the importance of drawing closer to you, of telling others about you, of responding to your invitation. Um, thank you that um, Jesus took the time to encounter, to spend time with Zacchaeus. And thank you because we have an opportunity to spend time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. At the end of Luke 18, we read about Jesus giving sight to a blind man. If uh, we look in the other Gospels, two blind men. And we're told that Jesus was near Jericho. Um, as we get to Luke 19, Jesus is passing through uh, that city. And a man decided that he needed to see Jesus. I told you that I was going to put the verses up there. I'm so sorry. A man decided he needed to see Jesus. Zacchaeus had made an, a fortune at the expense of his countrymen. The Roman Empire sold or franchised the tax collecting function, the, the right to tax, 
to ambitious Jewish citizens, also known as, as publicans, who forced people to pay more than what was required by the Roman authorities. And the additional amount was theirs to keep. It belonged to the publicans. That's how they made their money, from charging more than what they uh, um, should have charged. It's no surprise, then, that the, the publicans, the tax collectors, were the group of people whom the Jews hated the most. And they symbolized the worst type of persons. We read, for example, in Matthew 5, 46, the Lord Jesus talking, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, the publicans, do the same, uh, the minimum. Uh, the worst people do things like that. And then in, in Matthew 9, 10, and 11, um, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, the house of Levi of Matthew, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with um, such bad people as tax collectors and sinners, publicans and sinners? We read in Matthew 18, 17, the, uh, If he refuses to listen to them, talking about discipline in, in the body, in the church, if he refuses to listen to them, to those who go privately to confront this person who has sinned, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Talking about the, the distance and how he was to be considered in, in a shunning. And um, in the home of, of Matthew, uh, as the Lord Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the likes of tax collectors and sinners? So tax collectors weren't uh, liked. They were hated. The Gospels tell of the conversion of, of two publicans, uh, Matthew, uh, Levi, and Zacchaeus. The agent from Jericho must have been particularly unscrupulous, particularly disliked, for he was a chief tax collector. He was a, a boss man tax collector. Perhaps he oversaw Jericho's collection office, a city that had lots of commerce, and when there's lots of commerce, there are also lots of tax revenues. Chiefs are sometimes admired, but more frequently, they're envied or hated. Are there some people around you who wish they had the life that you have? Uh, are there people who, who look up to you? Uh, are there others who perhaps have a strong dislike for you? Jesus came to give life to people who are looked up to, people who are admired, and also to those that have a lot of enemies. Jesus came for everyone. Why do you think that a person who was in great shape, according to most people, had a Good job, had lots of money. Why do you think that someone like that would have wanted to spend time with Jesus? Perhaps it was just a matter of curiosity. Or he may have been keenly aware of his spiritual need. We know he realized that it'd be hard for him to see Jesus, for he was short, a wee little man. 
Some people think, and I don't know if that's your case, that it's more trouble than it's worth to encounter Jesus. Some people think it's more trouble than it's worth to grow as a Christian. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to get a better view of the master. He didn't want anything to get in the way of his seeing Jesus clearly. Is there something that keeps you from having a closer relationship, a, a closer walk with God? Uh, could it be lack of time? Could it be lack of self-control? Could it be a besetting sin? Is there a barrier between you and God? Do you worry what others might think or say? Are you scared, perhaps, that the Lord would ask for too much from you? Have you thought about what barriers had to be overcome for you to get to know Jesus? Are you grateful for that? Someone had to take the time to talk with you. Um, are you um, very aware that it wasn't easy to get you to look for God? Um, he pursued you. He kept after you. And we need to praise him for having done that. How have you helped someone recently to overcome a barrier that keeps them from seeing Jesus clearly? Do you actively seek out people? Are you aware of what the barriers are between the people around you and the Lord Jesus? Keep searching for opportunities to introduce your neighbors, your family members, and other friends to the only one who has both the desire and the ability to give them new life. Jesus did that, and so should we. Sitting in a, in a tree above the crowd, waiting for Jesus to pass, Zacchaeus believed that no one would see him. Um, he was there, he was all alone, and no one was aware of his presence. Do you think sometimes that that no one, not even God, truly understands your needs? Do you really believe that you're way off the radar? <clears throat> Jesus saw Zacchaeus and he called him. He called him by name. He called out to him. Wonderful things happen when you seek the Lord. Wonderful things when you draw closer to God. He delights in being found by needy people. And when you find him, you'll realize that he had the idea of you and him meeting up a long time before you started looking for him. Zacchaeus might have been admired or certainly envied by many people, but he wasn't as well off as others thought he was because he didn't have the most important thing in life. He didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. He had a lot of things going for him. But he didn't know God, and that's what's most important. Have you drawn closer to Jesus recently? Was it because you have a great need, or was it more out of curiosity? Whatever your motivation is for looking for God, he's even more interested than you are in your getting to know him better. God knows right where you are. He knows you by name and he's well aware of your needs. Um, I tend to be more outgoing than Elaine is, and so when I, when I see someone that I've met before, half of the time I don't remember what their name is, but I figure if I'm sort of close, I have half a chance of being right. 
Elaine thinks I have half a chance of being wrong, so she <laughs> says, uh, you probably, but we're different that way. So, you know, he didn't say, um, Jake, well, it's close, sounds like Zacchaeus. No, it was Zacchaeus. He knows him, and God knows us, and I say that reverently. He's aware of our needs. He's well aware of our needs. There were lots of people in Jericho that day waiting to see Jesus. Um, there are bicycle races frequently in, in Colombia, and people just line the sidewalks, and they push them back. And I believe that years ago there were parades in this country, and a lot of people lining up, waiting and, and spending a long time for something that they're just going to see for a few minutes. And there were lots of people in Jericho that day waiting to see Jesus. Lots of people lining the road. And perhaps they'd heard about Jesus bringing um, Lazarus back to life uh, in Bethany. That was just 15 miles away, uh, something we read about in John 11. Maybe they'd heard about that happening just a little while before. Um, certainly his miracles, his reputation as a teacher must have filled the people of Jericho with anticipation when they found out that Jesus would pass through there. Do you wake up in the morning with anticipation? Do you want to know the Lord better? Um, is that something that's in your priority? Do you take time for that? Those of us who've been Christians for many years often have a diminishing interest in spiritual growth as time goes by. And we would do well to befriend someone who's been saved more recently and let their enthusiasm for, for Christ-likeness, their desire to talk to non-believers about their faith, rub off on us. I find that that's a good result of my spending time with people who are new believers. Uh, you say, what are your prayer requests? And uh, you talk to someone who's been a believer for a long time, say, no, well, really nothing. And um, you talk to a new believer and they say, oh, that my mom would be saved and that I would be a good witness at work. And there's more of an excitement and that needs to rub off on us. When several days have gone by without your studying the Bible, without your praying or without your talking to someone about the Lord, is your first reaction to give excuses rather than to say I was wrong and ask for forgiveness? Do you resent unsafe people uh, visiting the chapel or getting saved because they bring so many problems with them? You know, why can't they have less problems like those who've been around a long time? Well, we demonstrate pride and insensitivity when we think that way. Does serving others seem like a waste of time to you? Do you say, <laughs> done serving people. I'm getting tired of that. I struggle with those things. And I need to be reminded that Jesus was sensitive to people's needs and, and we too should be. Being frustrated with hurting people, uh, nitpicking, poking fun at um, uh, things that other believers do. Growing weary of spiritual disciplines, a lack of personal Bible study quickly become habits that are difficult to shake. You don't want to go there. Um, just, it's like, ugh, this, is, this is such a bother to me. And initially, it may just be something that you're saying to blow off steam, but very quickly, that can become a way of life. 
Zacchaeus was up in a sycamore tree, and those trees are large, and they have low-hanging and uh, branches that are very wide. A small person could hide in one above a road, although such behavior would seem to be out of place for a uh, successful person, as Zacchaeus seemed to be. However, he was motivated by the thought of seeing Jesus. We need to be motivated by the thought of getting to know him better. Let go of your prejudices, of your fears, of your pride, your lack of self-control. Those are things that I need to do as well. And receive God's invitation to get close to him, to know him better. Getting to know God better is a sure road to joy. It's a sure road to having a sense of purpose in life. The text tells us that Jesus looked up, saw Zacchaeus, and spoke to him. That's wonderful. Jesus, Jesus stopped. He looked up. He saw him. He spoke to him. He didn't say, hey, you. He didn't say, hey, friend there, but Zacchaeus. Jesus knew him. He was interested in him. And Jesus told him he wanted to spend some time with him. God knows you. He's interested in you. He wants you to know him. And Jesus had to go to Zacchaeus' house. I find that's interesting. I must go to your house. Well, why? The tax collector didn't do Jesus a favor when he received him into his home. It was the Lord who showed him favor by offering to spend time with him, a sinner in great need of salvation like when the Colombian presidential candidate did me a favor by greeting me, acknowledging my presence. I wasn't doing him a favor by waving at him. Here, a person much uh, very important waving at me, he did the favor to me. I was the lesser. How gracious Jesus was, being God, to come to earth. How much good he did everywhere he went. And you too need to know him. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to give you the opportunity to know him better. Will you receive him joyfully as Zacchaeus did? Zacchaeus jumped down and, and quickly and received him. Will you welcome him into your life? Are you aware of the Zacchaeuses in your neighborhood, in your building, in your office? Those who try to give the impression that they don't need God? And if they're um, perchance curious to know something about him, they certainly don't want anyone else to find out. I was interested in Edis, one of the believers from uh, the assembly in Bogota, saying that during this time of quarantine, her son-in-law, who's always been very opposed to the gospel, uh, doesn't want his wife, Edis's daughter, to go to meetings. Um, she said um, when, the, when the meeting would come on, when the transmission would start, he would sit in the kitchen with a book in front of him. She said, but when I looked at him, it was clear he wasn't reading the book. He listens to the services. Uh, that's a Zacchaeus, someone who uh, doesn't want anyone to know that they're interested, but in fact they are, and they're looking, and they're listening. Let's be sensitive to people like that, and, and we're so grateful that God calls people to himself. The words, I must stay at your house today, were more a command than a request or an announcement. Jesus only infrequently invited himself to someone's home. God um, indeed orders 
everyone, everywhere, to recognize their sinfulness and repent for rebelling against him. We read in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. How gracious Jesus was, and uh, he said, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house. He didn't often say things like that, but in fact, he has the right to ask for anything, and God orders people to repent. You win when you accept the Lord's invitation. The text highlights Zacchaeus' joy upon receiving Jesus because of God's transforming power. A sinner, a despised publican, was transformed and found peace and security upon meeting Jesus. Today, the Lord calls each one of us to know him better and also enables us to do that. Zacchaeus was hated by the influential people of the day and and we read there in our text that they, they grumbled and they said, no, this isn't right. How can Jesus spend time with someone like this? Zacchaeus was hated by the influential people of his day. He was hated by ordinary citizens too. Everyone thought he was beyond repair, that he couldn't be reformed even by God. They didn't know how much God is able to do in a life. They didn't understand that they too needed to repent of their sin and accept or receive God's gift of salvation. When we look down on people because they aren't Christians, because they don't have as much light as we do, we show pride. They didn't consider the possibility that Jesus could visit such a notorious sinner with a good purpose. They assumed that if Jesus was there, Jesus just must not have it all together. He must not know as much as uh, he seemed to know. I have no right to despise or to look down on someone for not loving my Lord. Instead, I need to show that I recognize my own unworthiness of God's mercy by showing love and compassion to others. Um, Jesus did come to earth to seek and to save lost people like me, like you, like the people around us. There will um, always be people like to Zacchaeus saying, oh, Zacchaeus, don't, don't waste your time looking for that. You're beyond hope. There will always be people trying to discourage from outreach efforts. Um, they'll say, oh, God couldn't be interested in someone like that. They'll say, oh, those people are too far gone. Um, they'll say, well, first they need to become better people um, to earn or to deserve salvation. But God, on the other hand, he knows just what everyone is like. He knows who the sinners are. And he sent Jesus to die in your place, in my place. Uh, you can't save yourself. You're saved when you believe that Jesus' death and resurrection enabled your sin debt to be paid in full. That's the only way to be saved. Now, we don't know at what time Zacchaeus passed from being just a curious person to being a, a converted one. The interview he had with Jesus was behind closed doors, so, so we don't know for sure. What's clear is that Jesus affirmed that Zacchaeus was saved. Zacchaeus was saved because he exercised the same kind of faith that Abraham had. We read in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. You're having the same kind of faith that he had. Heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29. That's the kind of faith that Zacchaeus had. 
the one that Abraham had. We read in James 2, 20 to 23, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Zacchaeus had the same kind of faith that Abraham had, a faith that trusts God, that takes him at his word, a faith that shows that it's real by its subsequent actions. Zacchaeus believed that God was capable of keeping his word. Um, Zacchaeus' faith in the Lord's promise was later shown with an action that involved personal expense, personal commitment, and it was public. It was witnessed by those around him. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, became a real son of Abraham when he believed. He became a Jew who received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And Jesus came for that. We read in Matthew 121, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to do that. And that uh, this comes from the line of Abraham. We read in John 4, 22, You worship what you do not know, speaking of the Samaritans. We worship the Jews. What we know for salvation is from the Jews. That's the line of Abraham. Zacchaeus sacrificed a lot, and we'll talk about that now, having come to know Christ. Have you exercised faith that cost you? Have you exercised faith that involves some risk in the past few days? Or are you just coasting? I believe God calls us to that today, to a faith that takes risks, a faith that, that involves commitment and cost. Zacchaeus said after people tried to discourage him and people discouraged or, or looked down on Jesus for spending time with him, Zacchaeus stood up and said, I'll restore fourfold what I've stolen. His decision to make restitution showed that his conversion was real. Um, his decision to make restitution was the fruit, was the result, not the condition of his salvation. The law imposed a 20% penalty for money obtained fraudulently. We read in Leviticus 6, 4 and 5, if he has sinned, and I'm just taking parts of these verses, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it, a 20% penalty. And we read in Numbers 5, 6 and 7, when a man or woman realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it, a 20% penalty. Zacchaeus did more than what was required, more than the 20% penalty. A fourfold restitution was only required when a sheep was stolen to kill or to sell it. We read in Exodus 22.1, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So that was when a fourfold restitution was required. If the animal that had been stolen was recovered alive, double restitution was required, Exodus 22.4. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So it's significant that Zacchaeus considered himself 
as guilty as a common criminal, as the worst type of criminal. We see the, the genuineness of his repentance in that. Given that a significant amount of his wealth had been obtained fraudulently, his commitment cost him a lot. His commitment to uh, pay back four times what he had stolen. And in addition, he promised to give half of his goods to the poor. However, um, it was a costly commitment. But the truth is that Zacchaeus had just discovered great spiritual riches. And because of that, he was willing to part with his material wealth. Whatever it took, he was willing to make things right. How different Zacchaeus' response is from that of the rich young ruler that we read about in Luke 18, who preferred his wealth over Jesus. Zacchaeus preferred Jesus over his wealth, and that's a marked contrast. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he gave away his riches. He didn't receive eternal life because he was sorry for having cheated so many people. Rather, because he believed in Christ alone for his salvation, he was moved to recognize his faults and to be generous. It was the result of his salvation, not the condition of his salvation. Saving faith manifests itself in a changed life. How do people around you notice or, or take note um, that you've really believed in Jesus? Do your relatives and your friends believe that you're for real? And if they say something where it says, you know, that's really not consistent with what you say you believe, do you say, thank you for pointing that out, ask for forgiveness, and make it right? Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 Son of Man, it was the, the name that Jesus used most frequently to refer to himself. Um, we read in Matthew 8.20, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When Jesus used the term Son of Man, generally, most times, it was referring to his humility, uh, to his coming as a human being to earth. Uh, that phrase, Son of Man, is found 83 times in the Gospel and was used by Christ or, or refers to him every time. Son of Man, we find in, in Daniel as a messianic title. And I'll read this because we have a slightly different use uh, here in Daniel of this Son of Man title, or this description anyway. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And actually, I was reading the Gospels just recently in the past few weeks, and initially, Son of Man refers pretty much exclusively to Jesus' humility, but as we go along, and particularly in his, in his trial, Jesus uses Son of Man also to refer to this aspect of his coming again and of his reigning. So we say that this title, Son of Man, highlights um, Christ's humanity, his humility, but also his eternal glory. And Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
that impacts me. He does more than wait for sinners to seek him. He goes looking for them. He calls them. He rejoices when they accept his invitation. He came to earth to rescue the perishing. Have you accepted his invitation to know him, to follow him, to get to know him better? Seeking and saving the lost is the main theme of the Gospel of Luke. We read in Luke 5, 31 and 32, Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I came to call sinners to repentance. We read in Luke 15, 4 to 7, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, in the same manner, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no or don't acknowledge their need of repentance. This is a theme throughout Scripture. 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4. And 1 Timothy 4.10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially, um, particularly, of those who believe. Those, uh, God's grace extended to all people, but the ones who are saved are those who believe. So this is the theme, uh, God seeking and saving lost people. Um, no one is excluded from Christ's loving offer of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If you're a Christ follower, do you actively seek out lost people? Do you do so creatively? Do you do so lovingly? I need to be reminded of the importance of doing that in my neighborhood with the people I, I have contact with at the store. Jesus did that. He actively sought people. He, he reached out to them creatively and lovingly. And we should do that too. It's not right for us just to wait for them to show up at our meeting place. It's not right for me just to say, hey, I invite you to our meetings. I need to engage them in meaningful conversation. Initially, Zacchaeus was just curious, but his inquisitiveness got the best of him, and he met Jesus, and then he became a Christ follower. That tells us something about Zacchaeus' character. He was willing to follow Jesus. But I believe it speaks more powerfully about God's ability to save a sinner. God is eager to save anyone who approaches him in faith. He's willing to do so. He longs to do so. And um, I know that today we have this group here. I know that this service is also made available in a broadcast form. And every time I speak, I'm keenly aware that God can use his word uh, to reach people. And it'd be no surprise to us if someone who who's here today or who, who tuned in today or listened to this broadcast, mostly out of curiosity, became a child of God. I've seen it over and over again. I, I tuned in, I listened, I really had no interest in spiritual things, but I heard something that really got to me. I searched the scriptures and I was saved. God does that. He, he did that with Zacchaeus, a curious person. 
but then became a Christ follower. We long for that to happen today, and we expect it to happen as well. God can enter a life that seemed impenetrable. Indeed, every conversion, each conversion is a miracle. It's a work of God. It's something that couldn't have happened apart from divine intervention. Um, and if that's your case of not being a believer, let yourself be convinced by the Lord. Uh, be convinced by his word. Don't run from him. Knowing him is the best thing that could happen to you. And if you're a believer, don't grow weary of inviting people to read the Bible, to listen to messages, and pray for them as well. Pray for those that you've invited to draw close to God. Um, it's hard for people to enter God's kingdom. It's hard for rich people like Zacchaeus to enter God's kingdom. But with God, all things are possible. And nothing is too difficult for God. Rich people tend to trust in themselves and in their possessions. Uh, but nothing is too difficult for the Lord. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. All sinners need to see Jesus. All sinners need to hear him. All sinners need to know him personally. When you seek him, you realize that he sought you out first. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He wants you to know him. He'd like to change your life. He'd like for you to be closer to him than you are now. He's the only one who gives peace and joy. He's an expert at searching for lost people and rescuing them from sin, from the messes that they're in, be it because of their own choices or choices that other people have made, and rescuing them from a mess to a life worth living, a life that's never ending. For those of us who already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the challenge is to draw closer to God, to draw closer to God through regular Bible study, to be honest about our struggles, to apply what we learn from our study of God's word, to show a, a genuine interest in the needs of people around us. We all need for God's work in our lives to be more evident. And by God's grace, that can happen. God is powerful enough to do that. Why don't we pray? Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the way that our Lord Jesus uh, sought sinners, even Zacchaeus in our text today. Thank you for his coming to seek and save us and those around us. We want to take advantage of opportunities to make Christ known, even in difficult circumstances like the ones that we have gone through where there's less contact than before but we still do have contact with people and help us to use those contacts to reach people for Christ. Help us to be people who are growing, uh, not coasting, but growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we ask that for your glory. We ask that because we know that it's what's best for us and for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.